Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. How is everyone doing this morning? Good. We want to welcome everyone in person and Arden at home. So good to see so many smiling faces. You guys are looking good today. Got ready and here for church. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, so go ahead and turn there. For all of our first-time guests, we want to say welcome home. Uh, We're so glad you're here. After the service, I would love to meet you. I'll be in a reception room just right behind the stage and would love just to get to know you. As you turn to Acts 19, just have a little question. How many of you like going to yard sales? Any yard sellers? Okay, some of you are like, I don't mess with it. Some of you, it's goodwill, the yard sale. Well, I heard a tale of Satan's yard sale. This is a fictitious story. Satan was having a yard sale to all his top demons. And it was all of his tools that he used for temptation. So he laid out all his tables and all of his unclean spirits went through and they saw the tool of deception and it had a price tag on it. And then the price tags kept getting higher and higher. Evil thoughts and gossip and rumors and so all the demons went through and they saw an item tool over way by itself and it was far more worn down than the other tools. So the demons gathered around this tool and saw it was worn out. It had no price tag on it. So they said, how much is this? And when they heard the price of the tool, they were blown away because it was multiple times more expensive than the other tools. And they said, well, what tool is this? And the devil said, this is the tool of discouragement. And they're like, why is discouragement so much more expensive than the other evil tools? And Satan said, the the tool of discouragement is so expensive because I use it and people don't realize it's from me. I discourage people. I depress people. I make them feel like they don't have what it takes. I make them feel like they can't do it. And then I I get in and I win. And isn't that true with life? If, If Satan can't get you to fall for greed or lust or envy or gossip how many of you have been discouraged this week right online how many of you have been discouraged so many of us face discouragement and we often don't realize where discouragement comes from the bible says that satan's one of his primary objectives is the accuser of the brethren he's constantly discouraging accusing us day and night and as christians who have been forgiven, we know that we stand forgiven and redeemed and justified by faith, right? So today we're, we're continuing in our series of Satan's hit list. Did you know that Satan has a hit list? He has a most wanted. You know how you go in the post office and it has the top criminals, most wanted list? Satan has his. So we've been asking the question, who's on that list? How do you know if you're on that list? What is it? And we mentioned last week, no one in the right mind wants to be on the list in the natural because who wants to be targeted by the enemy, right? Nobody, right? But we see through scripture, Job was on that list. Satan, God had a conversation with Satan and the question was, have you considered my servant Job? So he was on the hit list. Fast forward to the New Testament. Peter was on that hit list. Jesus told Peter, Satan has requested that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you and the others. 
that, you, that your faith may not fail. So here's the thing. We don't choose to be on the hit list. But what if you're on the hit list because you're following Jesus? What if you're on the hit list because you're making an eternal difference in the lives of others? That may be a different story, right? So we're going to be in Acts 19. So this is a lengthy passage, a little over 20 verses. So hang with me. I know it's a, a big passage. But what we're going to do is read it. And then we're going to draw some practical applications. We're going to talk about a mob, a riot that occurred in Ephesus. And what happened and what the meaning of it was. But is there any application for today? So let's start in verse 21 of chapter 19. And again, welcome. Welcome to all those watching at home. Verse 21 starts off when they when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Let me pause on verse 23. The way was an early description of Christians because Jesus referred to himself as what? The way, the truth and the life. So unbelievers would say, oh, those are people of the way. Like they, they think they're the way to God. They think that they're the way to salvation through Jesus. So verse 24, it says, for a certain man named Demetrius, someone say Demetrius. He was a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupations, said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see in here that not only at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded to turn away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. When they had heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and they rushed into the theater with one accord Having seized Gaius and Articus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the temple, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, by the way, the other term for that is Asiarchs, we'll talk about that in a moment, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Verse 35, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who doesn't does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple guardian for the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell from Zeus. Now, let me pause in verse 35. What they're talking about, this image several hundred years before this event, 
there was some kind of meteorite that fell out of the sky, a big rock. And they're like, this kind of looks like Diana. So let's say this was a kind of like confirming sign. This is Diana, the great goddess of the Ephesians. People will believe what they want to believe, right? So even if a rock falls out of the sky, it must, must be Diana. Kind of crazy. All right, verse 36. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and they there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if any of you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar, there being no reason why we may give an account for this disorderly gathering. Let's pray blessings over the word. Father, we pray blessings on the proclamation and on the hearers of the word of God today. We ask and pray that we would understand that we do live in a battle. We live in a battle with spiritual warfare. And Lord, as we look at this ancient scripture passage Almost 2,000 years ago, help us to see how much relevance it has in today's world. We ask and pray your blessing will be upon your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about you might be on Satan's hit list if. I want to give you four points and one observation. So number one, you might be on Satan's hit list if you are following the Holy Spirit's lead in your daily life. If you'll turn back in your scripture passage to verse 21... It says, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit. So if you notice, Paul was a man that was led by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the spirit because God had great works for Paul to do. In verse 21, it said that he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia and he wanted to go to Jerusalem. Does anybody know why Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem? Audience can respond. It wasn't the Passover this time, even though that's often the case. He wanted to go to Jerusalem because there were poor Christians. If you remember in the book of Acts, there was a great famine. And also, great famine was predicted. And also, there was people who were losing their jobs because they were following Christ. So what Paul did, he would gather the Gentile churches together. And basically, it was an opportunity not only to help out poor Christians but also to bring unity in the body of Christ between non-Jews, the Gentiles, and the Jews. So he purposed in his heart, we need to go. And his heart was to produce unity in the body of Christ. And that's one mark of someone filled with the Spirit. They produce unity. Someone that's not walking in the Spirit, what do they produce? Disunity. So on your listening guide, I, I ask you to look down for a moment at your listening guide. It brings the question, you know, what does it mean... To be led by the Holy Spirit. Because you got some over here, some churches that never talk about the Holy Spirit. You got the chosen frozen, the holy huddles over here. And then you got some that talk about the Holy Spirit so much, it's almost like they hear an audible voice. So where where's the middle ground? How do you know if God is speaking to you, if God is leading you? Well, first of all, we know that the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. If you look down at Romans eight fourteen. It says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So anyone that's a born-again believer, what happens is the Holy Spirit takes residence inside of your, your body, your soul, your spirit. So it's kind of the way, the way to explain it is, just like we serve a triune God, 
the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And by the way, let me give you a statement. Some people are like, I can't, the Trinity, I can't figure it out. And some people turn to other faiths because they can figure it out. If you can serve a God, you can figure it out. Is that really God, right? It's great that we can't figure out everything about God because if we could, he would no longer be God. He'd be a God made in our own image, right? So just like the Trinity is three persons, one God, did you know you're a three-part being? You have a body. That's the physical essence of you, the physical body. And by the way, whenever someone dies, when we say they died, we're not talking about the person. We're talking about the body. That's the only part that dies. Then you have the soul. That's the second part. That's your personality. That's everything immaterial about you. You've heard the song, she's got personality, right? That's, that's the personal effects. And then you have, don't laugh, Glenda. <laughs> Just kidding. Then you have the spirit. And the spirit is basically what Ephesians 2 says, you were dead. And you're like, well, how am I dead? I'm breathing. I'm walking around. I'm having a conversation. Spiritually, you were dead. And the best theological description I've heard a scholar give is that it's like your spirit is curled inward. That's what it means by death. It's, there's no life. It's full of darkness. But when the Holy Spirit, when you invite Jesus to save you, to forgive you, what happens? The person, the Holy Spirit, he moves inside that closed off area and your spirit opens up. And you once were full of darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Now you are truly, people talk about illuminated, you're truly illuminated because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And someone said, even make a Baptist want to shout, all right? So the Holy Spirit will also guide you into all truth. People ask, does God still speak? Now when we say God's speaking, we're not talking about audible voice. Now I'm not limiting God and saying you can't do what he wants to do, but generally... It's that still small voice. It's the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So I'll give you an example. For those of you who weren't at the share, share your faith uh, conversation we had this Wednesday, I gave a story how I messed up this week. You guys want to hear how your pastor messed up? You're like, oh, no. Well, not, not a fireable offense, but I messed up this week. I was, I was studying on, you know, giving this talk on how to share your faith, how to have a gospel conversation. Just got back from vacation, was getting back into the, the swing of things. So I was at Starbucks here on Airport Road, and a guy came up to me and said, um, are, you, are you here a lot? And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I guess so. So he started talking to me. He approached me. I didn't approach him. And he asked, like, man, I hate to ask this, but I don't have any gas money. And, you know, gas prices are going out the roof. And, and here's this. Is, I'm, I'm, just, I'm being vulnerable this morning. So here's the honest truth. I, in my spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but in Timothy, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to prepare this message on how to share your faith, how to have a gospel conversation. This guy's interrupting me. I mean, I got to present this to the people and how to start a conversation. And he's interrupting me. And so what I did is I pulled out my wallet and said, see, I have no bills. All that do is credit credit cards. I'm sorry. I can't help you. Why don't you call ABCCM? <laughs> That's the truth. I did. So he, I, I gave him the number, he calls ABCCM, and in that moment, it wasn't an audible voice, but in my spirit, the Holy Spirit, this is how he talked to me in that moment, Timothy, really? <laughs> like, you're getting ready to tell people that I had a gospel conversation, I just sent you one and you sent him away, really? It's like, and in that moment, I'm like, okay, God, please forgive me, give me a second chance. So I went out. I went chasing him down the parking lot. I actually didn't run, but I walked. And I'm looking in the cars. I don't see him. I don't see I'm like, where is he at? So finally, I see him in the corner. He's still on the phone with ABCCM. He gets off. I'm like, what do they say? They don't have any gas cards. And I'm like, okay. So let me, let me help you out. There's a gas station. If you guys know where Airport Road, right here. There's Culver's, Starbucks. There's a gas station, like literally right there. 
God help me. I didn't even think of this initially. I was like, well, pull your car. Do you have enough gas to get to the gas station? He said, yeah. It's like, pull your car. So he pulled up. I put my card in. We start pumping his gas. And while he's pumping, we're pumping gas, we basically start talking. And I was like, tell me where you're from. Tell me about yourself while the gas is pumping. And he's like, man, I've really gone astray. And keep in mind, I didn't bring up God at all at this point. He brought it up. So the Holy Spirit gave me like a softball lob. So we start talking and basically find out he is a believer. He just went astray. He's like, I've been saved. I'm just not living. So in the minute and a half it took to fill up his gas tank, which he had a small tank. It was only like 20-something bucks to fill up. I don't know what his tank, six-gallon tank. But we filled it up, and I encouraged him. I was like, let's get back on track. God's got a plan for you. So that was my horrible attempt at a gospel conversation. But the Holy Spirit was there to say, really? I mean, come on. The Holy Spirit also shows you, if you look on the third check on your outline, how much God loves you. If you've ever doubted the love of God in your life, the Bible encourages you that God loves you so much. Look at Romans 5, 5. It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by what? The Holy Spirit who is given to us. So if you're full of the Spirit, you're also going to be full of love for God and you will experience God's love for you. The Holy Spirit changes you from the inside out. So here's the thing. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we should look like Jesus. In church circles, we get in many debates about once saved, always saved, can you lose it? And I was like, if we're walking with Jesus, should there be a debate? You should look more like Jesus every day. You should be more loving today than you were yesterday. You should be more joyful. Now, will you blow it? Yes. If I blow it, we're all going to blow it. But here's the thing. God is the one who's doing the work. We don't have a workspace salvation. We have a grace-based, gospel-empowered salvation. We are saved by grace. And guess what? We're also sanctified by grace. God begins his work, but we have to yield to it. We have to allow him to do it in our lives. The Holy Spirit generates strength. Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt like quitting on God? You want to give up? Look at Ephesians 3.16. It says that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through what? The Holy Spirit in the inner man. So the Holy Spirit gives you strength. The Holy Spirit fills you in a way that your actions are guided by heaven. Paul tells us, listen, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your actions should not be guided by alcohol, but your actions should be influenced by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit affirms that you're part of God's family. Galatians 4, 6 tells us that God's Spirit allows us to call him Abba, Father. It's like you're, you're my heavenly father. You're my papa. The Holy Spirit also brings about freedom. Funny story from the youth group. I was teaching the youth group two weeks ago. And one of the youth had a question, raised their hands and said, you know, this thing about serving Jesus, a lot of the, the Christians I know are kind of weird and strange and boring. Uh, so how do, you, how do you say serving Jesus is good when everyone I know that serves Jesus is boring and lame and da-da-da? Sounds like a great teenager, right? And uh, my, my, my response, the Lord gave me the moment, is, listen, uh, boring and lame has nothing to do with serving Jesus. That's someone's personality, okay? If you want to see boring and lame, you can go see lost people that are that way. It's just some saved people get saved and, you know, God needs to help them too. So here's the, here's the thing. When you serve Jesus, he gives you freedom. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. So don't say following Jesus makes you boring and lame. Following Jesus is actually the most exciting thing you can do. It gives you freedom. 
So just to summarize point one, Paul purposed in the spirit. Whenever you follow the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that we're to be filled with the spirit, we're to be led by the spirit, and we're to keep in step with the spirit. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, empowers you for life and for effective ministry. So Paul had purpose in his heart. I'm going to go to other places. I'm going to continue to help build up the body of Christ. You might be on Satan's hit list if you are making an eternal difference in the lives of others. All right, someone help me here. You might be on Satan's hit list. Let's say it together. You might be on Satan's hit list. If, all right, so number two, you are in the business of empowering others for ministry. Look at verse 22. It says, he went into Macedonia, two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So here's the idea. Paul was all about equipping people for ministry. Paul was all about, I can't do this on my own. Christianity is not a solo sport, it's a team sport. It's us working together to help out others. And as, as effective as Paul was, he always had a team of people. Just reference, you don't have to look at it now, but look at Romans 16. All the names that Paul lists as part of his team. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. That's right. So Paul was constantly equipping people. So who was Timothy? Timothy was Paul's protege in the faith. He had led him to Christ. And we know something about Timothy is he was young. And most likely, we can imply from Scripture, Paul talks about his timidity. Most likely, Timothy was timid. People had to affirm him. You ever meet someone that's so gifted, but they're really insecure and timid? That's probably how Timothy was. But in time, as Paul equipped Timothy and Timothy followed Paul and ministered alongside of him, eventually, Paul placed him at the church at, as you might know, Ephesus, where we see this riot breaking out. And here's the cool thing about Ephesus. It has such rich history. We have four different parts of the Bible that were written to this, to this place. So we have the book of Ephesians. And then Timothy's in Ephesus. We have first and second Timothy. And then in the book of Revelation, we have a portion of scripture in Revelation written to the church of Ephesus. And eventually their problem was is they had lost their first love, right? So Ephesus was an important part of history here. So if you look down in your listening guide in Ephesians 4, this later on, another passage to Ephesians, Paul tells us the work of the ministry. In Ephesians 4, God gives this broad gifting to people. He says some are gifted to be apostles, right? We have the 12 apostles. Today, we don't have the 12, but we have people who function in apostolic ministry, meaning they're pioneers, they're church planners, they, they're sent out with the gospel. We have some who are prophets, some who are evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Notice what's the reason for what? The equipping of the saints for ministry. So here, can can I tell you a little secret here? Every pastor, every minister on every church staff, they are called to be the CEO. And you're like, Timothy, I thought the church was not a business but a ministry. What do, you, what do you mean by CEO? I'm not talking about chief executive officer. I'm talking about chief equipping officer. So here's the thing. One of my greatest passions is teaching and preaching, but sometimes that can be one of my weaknesses because if I'm doing it all the time, 
and I, I tend to lean, you tend to lean into where your dominant passion is. Sometimes I find myself at the church, I'm teaching every ministry, but I'm not equipping anyone. I'm not equipping other teachers and other people. And in time, guess what happens to the pastor that does that? Eventually you get what? Burned out, right? And the thing about it is Christianity is not a, it's not a spectator sport. Everybody's called to play on the field. Everyone's called to do their part. So here's the way I phrase it. Someone say E3. Here's the way I think, and this is not just applicable for pastors, but I think you have a particular ministry for people that you're mentoring. It's these, these three things. The first one is to encourage. Our goal, my goal, your goal is to encourage people to be more like Jesus. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, listen, it's not be like Timothy or be like you, it's be like Jesus. So we need to encourage people. And as we encourage them to be more like Jesus, then we got to equip them to serve Jesus in the local church. So we are to be equippers. And here's how it happened to me when I was 14, 15 years old. I was in a small church in West Asheville. And there were a lot of lovely, what I call senior saints. They had been there forever, 40, 50 years and I made my feeble attempts of preaching at 14, 15 years old. And some of these senior saints, they would pull me aside and speak like, I could see you doing this. You're going to be the next Billy Graham. And, you know, all these crazy sayings, which, you know, they, they were shooting way high. I'm like, well, just give me another chance to try again. I didn't do the best job, but give me a chance. So here's the thing, like, even in my feeble attempts, people were speaking not to where I was necessarily, but to my potential. And that's what we got to do to each other. God has given all of you unique gifts and abilities. Many times we speak to people's problems. We, we find out where they're messed up and they, they need some extra grace required. But you know what? We've we got to deal with the problems in grace. But how many of us ever deal with people's potential in Christ? Like, I see God doing this in your life. I see God. Paul was so good at that. He raised up people. Even when people weren't perfect, think about John Mark, right? You remember what happened to John Mark? He went home on one of Paul's missionary journeys, but Paul was upset initially, but eventually he gave John Mark another chance, right? And God was working in Paul's life, and at the end of Paul's ministry, he said, bring Mark for me, for he's useful for the ministry. So even Paul, as black and white thinker as he was, God was working on him to give people second chances, and we should do the same for others. So encourage, equip, and then the final E is empower. The empowerment process is this. All right, you're, you're, you're following Jesus. Now you realize how you're gifted to serve the body of Christ. What are you doing about it? It does no help to the body of Christ if we are sideline sitting saints. We're sitting on the sidelines, rooting everyone on when you have such a valuable gift. It's been said the most richest place in the world, the, the place that has the most bounty and plenty is the graveyard. Because when you go by the graveyard, you see gifts that were never used. You see books that were never written. You see lives that were meant to do so much, but they never reached their full potential in Christ. So our goal for each other is to plead with you to bring out the full redemptive potential. God has so much inside of you. Your job is to work it out. Paul said, work out your own salvation. Guess what? You don't work for it. You work it out. It's a treasure hunt. God's worked it in. Your job is to, someone say, work it out. All right. You might be on Satan's hit list if you are making an eternal difference in the lives of many. All right. Someone say, you might be. You guys are awake now. On Satan's hit list, if number three, let's see what number three is. 
You are changing the lives of many with the transformative power of the gospel. So verses 23 through 27, if you look back at that, Demetrius, the silversmith, uh, he basically, he, he was Paul's critic. But guess what he said about Paul and the others? He said, Paul, he's changing the world everywhere. It seems like he's gone into almost all of Asia. And that was true. Paul was changing the world with the gospel. And I read a story about the founder of Salvation Army, William Booth. How many of you ever been to a Salvation Army before? Gym or uh, store? Well, anyways, he, they were in London. And he had his son, Bramwell, with him. And he was about 12 or 13 years old at the time. So instead of taking him on a fun retreat, like let's go to the theme park or whatever they had back in London at that time, he took his son Bramwell into the saloon. Now think about taking a 12-year-old into a bar. So he took his son into the bar, and as they went into the bar, Bramwell looked around, and people had scarred up faces, and he had seen like just the plagues of sin. that they had, Many of them had been in bar fights, and the, the whole place rank of alcohol and just, just, I mean, the son was just like, what are, you, what, what are we doing in here? I'm a 12-year-old kid and we're, half the people were drunk in the bar. And William Booth looked at the people and said, listen, these are our people. And when you grow up, I want you to give your life to love these people and win them to Christ. And Bramwell, 12, 13 years old at the time, later on wrote about it. He said, when my dad took me into the saloon and showed me the people that needed Christ, I never forgot about that moment. So, wow, powerful. So what happens when the gospel goes out? We see verses 23 through 27, Demetrius talking about the effects, but let's talk about it now. Whenever the gospel goes out, life change follows. What happens is people give up their idols. And the idols in Ephesus was the statue of Diana. And Diana was the goddess of the hunt. Uh, she was the protector of young ladies. As we talked about two weeks ago, it was kind of weird. But whenever, ladies, you got married, you'd go to the temple of Diana. And obviously, this is a false cult, false religion. But what they would do is they'd bring a lock of hair and one of their garments and ask for blessings on their future children. How weird. I mean, bringing hair to a temple and a garment? Sounds bizarre, but that's what they did. So what they would do is as people left Ephesus, they're like, we want to take Diana with us. We want to be able to worship Diana wherever we go. So they would sell small statues, these silver shrines of Diana. And Diana was so popular that the people who sold these, these silversmiths, they made a ton of money. They became businessmen, businesswomen, ton of money. So aren't you glad today that we don't have idols like that anymore? Aren't you glad that there's no idols anymore, right? <laughs> so I want you to look at your listening guide. This is a quote from Tim Keller. I wanted to quote him because I could not say it any better. He says, what is an idol? Keller says, it is anything more important to you than God. So let's pause there. For the average Christian, not talking about you, but the average Christian you know, is there anything more priority or more important in their lives than God? Ouch. As I read that, I'm like, God, help me. He goes on to say, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. So the second question what consumes your thought? Is God the central focus of your thoughts or do you think about other stuff more than him? Ouch. He says anything you seek to give you what only God can give you, that, that void that you keep trying to fill, do you go to God to fill that or do you go to other things? And then later on, and this comes from his book Counterfeit God, he, he says a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. So how many of us, if we lost our job, would we have purpose? 
How many of us, if our favorite sports team lost, would we have purpose? Or if someone retired, would we have purpose? How many of you are glad Tom Brady's coming back? This was your commercial break, by the way. It's, it's heavy stuff. That was your commercial break. So here's the thing. We all have idols. And I want to give you three Ps because preachers like to pontificate points that are alliterated sometimes. Okay, so here's your first P. Idols in today is power. Do you know of anybody that they want to control their world? They want everything micromanaged and to the T that if anything interferes, it's like they go into a rage. How many of us, let's just be honest, if, if something was not the way we wanted it, it's like we lose control because we're out of control and ouch. And sometimes it's so hard because we live in a world where everything's so customized, we want it that way. All right, what about pleasure? You ever heard the saying, if it makes me happy, it can't be that bad? Oh, really? <laughs> that, that's, that's hedonism, right? That's, that's living for this world. And so many times people just live and they're, they're saying, as God just wants me to be happy. Oh, where's that in the Bible? That must be in the book of uh, Hezekiah, right? It's not, not found there. All right, what about prestige? The ability to look important to people. And by the way, these things in and of themselves can have a place. It's nothing wrong if God blesses you with happiness or if God gives you positions of influence. It's where it becomes your idol, becomes your God. So let me step on some toes here. Have you ever wanted your house so clean that unless it was perfect, no one could come to your house? <laughs> but you've got to ask the question, why is it? Is it I don't want someone to get sick when they come through or is it my image would be tarnished if they saw something on the ground? See, we may feel like we don't deal with prestige, but how many of us do? None of the, there's nothing wrong with having a clean house, but it is wrong when we elevate things to the highest level of power and pleasure and prestige. And God or the works of God sometimes get shoved out because this interferes with me. Ouch. So whenever the gospel goes, the rejectors become reactors. Notice Demetrius. He's most likely the leader of a trades guild, the silversmith guild. And he is upset, not because so much Diana, that's secondary. The primary reason he's upset. Anybody want to tell me why? You're messing with my pocketbook. You mess with my pocketbook, I'll get all upset. So that, that's the deal there. So the idea behind that is Paul and the others was making a difference. They were changing the world with the gospel. So here's the thing. If you've recently accepted Christ... If you are thinking about accepting Christ, or if you recently led someone to Christ, I just got a little warning for you. While there's a party in heaven going on, do you think there's a party in hell going on? You think Satan and his angels are rejoicing that someone gets saved? No, while there's a party in heaven, there's a plan down here on earth. Satan, who is not in hell right now, he's roaming free. The plan is a counterattack. The plan is, I'm going to make you my target. You might be on Satan's hit list if you are making an eternal difference in the lives of others. All right. One more time. Someone say you might be on Satan's hit list if, let's throw it number four, you are being targeted by the world because you're so different than the world. So in verses 28 through 34, you see how the whole city was really upset. They were filled with confusion um, they were they were agitated. And did you know that when you make a difference and 
You stand out for Christ. You become a target. D.L. Moody once made a commitment to God. And this is, I caution you with commitments unless you're willing to fulfill them. But after he got saved sometime in the future, later on, he said, I'm going to witness to one person every day for the rest of my life. That's a pretty big commitment, right? Every day I'm going to witness to one person, D.L. Moody said. So one day, it was 10 p.m. at night, and the Holy Spirit kind of convicted him. D.L., you've never, you haven't shared the gospel with anyone today. So at 10 o'clock at night, to his commitment, D.L. Moody went outside. He found someone on the street corner and basically shared Christ with him. The guy, I don't know if he was drinking or not, I, I didn't, the story didn't say, but he was so ticked off, he flew in a rage, and he's like, I'm going to throw you into the ditch. He threatened to beat D.L. Moody up, and it was a big uproar. So D.L. Moody kept his commitment. So the guy was... Obviously a smart street guy because he found out where D.L. Moody went to church. And he told on him to one of his elders. So one of his elders rebuked D.L. and said, you've got to tone down the zeal. You need a little knowledge. It's good to be passionate, but you're causing disturbances in the city. So three months later, D.L. Moody was serving at the YMCA and he got a knock on his door. And he opened the door at the YMCA. It was the same guy that threatened to beat him up three months earlier. And the guy said, ever since that encounter... I've been, I just can't sleep. I'm just really, I feel the weight of the sin of my soul. And I'm so sorry for how I treated you and told your elder about you. And I just ask for your forgiveness. And D.L. Moody led that person to Christ that night. So you never know. Sometimes people react, but sometimes they do repent later on. So God can work. So it brings up the question, why do dynamic Christians have a target on their back? Why do some Christians, it seems like Satan never bothers them, but other Christians, it seems like they're in a battle. I just want to bring up a few thoughts to think about. When you stand out of the world, and I'm not talking about personality, I'm not talking about dress, but I'm talking about your Christian character, sometimes you simply make people feel uncomfortable. Have you ever made anyone uncomfortable at a dinner conversation? They're like, I don't want to curse around because I got holy so-and-so here. You know, and it's been times where like I never said not to curse. Why, why, you know, and it's like you, sometimes people just sense that something's different about you. When you stand out of the world, sometimes your light exposes the darkness in other people. And they're like, get away. You ever had someone that once you got right with God, they stopped returning your phone calls? And you're like, I thought we were friends. BFF, best friends forever. Now I get blocked every time I call you. Is it because that maybe they're under conviction And sometimes you stand out of the world, Satan's goal is you're on fire, Satan wants to quench your fire. Because his goal is to make you ineffective for the kingdom. So here's the thing, when you make Jesus your primary target in life, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to pursue him with passion, guess what happens? When you make Jesus your primary target, Satan makes you his target, and you have a target on your back. So you might be on Satan's hit list. If you are making an eternal difference in the lives of others. All right. One observation and we will close shortly. You ever notice that the madness of the world leads to a mob? Have any of you ever been around a mob before? Anyone ever been around a riot, a protest, seen a bar fight? It's interesting how it's humorous. The scripture, it says all the people were gathered and most of them didn't even know why they were there. They were kind of confused. So what I want to do is I want to do something a little antithetical. I'm going to tell you how to start a mob, okay? And this is tongue in cheek, so don't don't go do it. But this is what happened. Number one, to start a mob, you got to gather a crowd. Because if you don't have a crowd, guess what? <laughs> There's no mob. So we have a picture of a, the amphitheater in Ephesus. Look how big that is. Can you imagine tens of thousands of people filling the stadium 
for two hours straight, they're screaming, great is Diana, great is Artemis. All right, number two, to start a mob, you've got to create confusion. Does this sound like some things going on in our TV today and politics? There's like crowds and there's confusion. Hmm, interesting. Number three, to start a mob, you've got to stir up the emotions of the crowd. Have you noticed that people that are emotional sometimes do things rashly? Here's a little saying from Craig Rochelle, and you guys can use it. I give him credit. I don't want to plagiarize this. But he says, whenever your emotions are high, your intelligence is low. I'll say that again. Whenever your emotions are high, your intelligence is low. So don't make any life-changing decisions when you're up in your emotions. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever made an emotional decision and later regretted it? Right? All of us. To start a mob... You must keep telling lies until the people believe them. Ouch. So this is what's happening in this past. Obviously, we're not, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you that's how people start a mob, right? Tongue in cheek. So how many people in today's world, as you watch the news and you see propaganda and everyone knows it's a lie, but guess what? They keep repeating it over and over and over. And they get more and more people to believe it until finally people are believing that as though it's a truth. Here's a little news flash. Paul says that in the last days, deception will abound, a great deception. We're living in that day. We see it happening all the time. So let's review our four points and one observation. Number one, you might be on Satan's hit list if you're following the Holy Spirit's lead in your daily life. So learn from my mistake. Sitting there at Starbucks, missed an opportunity. But here's the thing. If you make a mistake, if you mess up, you fess up. God, forgive me. Get out there and try again. All right, number two, second point, you are in the business of empowering others for ministry. Remember, CEO in ministry doesn't stand for chief executive officer. It stands for what? Chief equipping officer. All right, number three, you are changing the lives of many with the transformative power of the gospel. The gospel has the power to change. David Bruce last week, he did a great job, by the way, did he not? Dr. David Bruce, he, pulled, he told me, or he said in the sermon, actually, in front of us all, a lady in the first service pulled him aside and said, this church has given me hope again. I was hopeless, and now I've come back to God. Thank you to this church. And uh, I, think, I think it's the same woman came to me and said, I've been coming a month now, and, man, God is really speaking to her. So praise God for the life change we're seeing. And number four, you're being targeted by the world because you're so different from the world. Remember, you're in the world, but you're not... Of the world and observation, the madness of the world leads to a mob. So let's throw our big idea on the screen. Let's see if you've heard it today. You might be on Satan's hit list if what? You're making an eternal difference in the lives of others. I have a short two minute video and I want to do something a little different before we get to application steps. I want you to watch this two minute video and just take this as a reflection time. Is this a time where you're a saint on the sideline and you need to wake up? Is this that you've never accepted Christ? Maybe you believe in Jesus, but you've never asked him to save you and forgive you and you need to wake up. Or are you in the battle and you need to wake up because you realize you're on Satan's hit list and you need to be prayed up. You need others praying for you. You need you need coverage. So watch this two minute video and then we'll conclude. Awake, O sleeper, in the valley of bones, 
born dead in sin, wandering alone. Awake, O oh sleeper, you go your own way, thinking pleasure is freedom, but covered in chains. Awake, O oh sleeper, from dust you were made. This life is a vapor, and it quickly fades. Awake, O oh sleeper. You try to live right, but darkness prevails, overcomes all your might. Awake, O oh sleeper, before all is lost. Trust not in yourself, but blood on a cross. Awake, O oh sleeper, and turn to the one who loved so amazing, surrendered his son. Awake, O oh sleeper, in the valley of bones, rescued from sin, no longer alone. Amen. So let's throw our application steps. Just how do we apply this? Because it's easy to get caught up into, you know, we're in spiritual warfare or you see so many mobs going on. But number one, this is just application to apply it is to seek to be in step with the Holy Spirit. And the question is, how do you do it? How do I keep in step? I think it's as simple as having a relationship with God daily. We call them holy habits, uh, the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer. So if you don't know where to start, I'd encourage you to start in the book of John and read a chapter a day. Um, If you want to read along with us, we have a group of people reading through the Bible in two years. Just email the church office and we'll send you that link. But we've got a group of, uh, you know, a handful of people that are just reading through Scripture together. So seek to have that walk with Jesus daily. Number two is remember to E3. What does E3 stand for? Encourage others. Equip them. Empower them. Now, you may not be able to change the world, but can you change someone's world? Can you pull a young person aside and say, listen, you know, just like the two amazing young ladies on the stage, I see something in you. You've got a bright future. That We've got to get back to calling out the gifts in people that we recognize. And finally, so the last one up here. Don't just blend in the world. That's too easy. Stand out. Share the, share the good news. So just a little, um, little closing thought is pray for us. We're sending out 30,000 postcards with the gospel in the back of them. 30,000. So that's about a six-mile radius of the church. And obviously there's probably going to be some pushback. Nobody likes to hear that they need to accept Jesus and repent. But, hey, we're going to do it anyways, right? So we're going to send it out. So pray. People will respond. Pray for protection. We also had about 70 plus of you that came to at least one of the training sessions. So if people do respond, we're going to be calling on you to have some coffee with some of these people and to, you know, to so be prayed up, be ready for that. And finally, we have an opportunity to get the message of the gospel out. I have a billboard connection. So if any of you are interested in helping sponsoring that, just come see me afterward. I have a friend that's given me the holy hookup. Really good deal. So we're going to try to get the gospel message all, all across town. And do we have that slide? This changes everything. So this is kind of what we're sending out in the postcards. 
And by the way, that's a series we're starting next week. So bring a friend. If you're a first-time guest here, you came perfectly. We're starting a new series next week for Easter. We'd encourage you to come out and just to see what God will do. Let's, let's pray together, and Amy's going to close us out. Father, you are good, and we just thank you for the power of the gospel. And right now, with no one looking around, I want to pray for believers first. Uh, how many of you along with me would say that sometimes there's idols that creep up in your life? Sometimes there's things that get the attention above God. Maybe it's the power thing. You want to be in control. Maybe it's the prestige thing. You don't want people to feel bad about you and you've got an image to maintain. Maybe it's the pleasure thing that you know, you're seeking after pleasure above pursuing God. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if that's you, just deal with God. Just say, God already knows it. Just say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me for the idols in my life. As believers continue to pray, I want to talk to someone that's a future believer, that you've never invited Jesus to save you, that today you've heard the gospel that Jesus is God, that he's amazing, that he died on the cross, he rose again, but you have to receive him. It's not, it's not that you just show up to church and you're a Christian. You know, you have to receive the free gift. So if that's you, if you've never invited Jesus, I just want you to say a prayer of faith. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So right where you're at, in person, watching online, say this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, go ahead and say it to him. Dear Jesus, I believe the good news that you died and you rose again. And I want to place my faith in you alone. Jesus, I pray that you would save me. Go ahead and tell him, Jesus, I pray that you would save me. I pray that you would come into my life and bring my spirit to life again. Bring light to my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for changing me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I choose to follow you from this day forward. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.